All right, friends. Uh, one other thing before we jump in here. If you want a Bible, there's uh, some back here. If you don't have one, uh, you can grab one there. If you like to knit, I think that there's still some knitting projects over there because I tend to sometimes be boring, and that's always a good way to keep yourself busy. So, um, not true, I hear. Well, thank you. That was very kind of you. <laughs> um, I didn't hear anything over in this section from my family members, but that's okay. That's all right. We'll just let that one go. We'll let that go. Um, again, my name is Micah, and uh, we are in week two of a series called Radiate, and uh, you'll notice there is a cat on that radiator. I tried to get that off of there, but I'm not a feline friend, and uh, I was like, lose the cat, guys, and they're like, no, we're not doing it. We're keeping it. So that shows you that we have cat lovers and nobody listens to me. Um, but that's fine. Um, we're in week two of a series called Radiate, and we're talking about evangelism. Uh, last week, we, we sort of um, we deconstructed some things in true postmodern fashion. We were deconstructionists, and we, we talked a lot about the things that evangelism is not. Uh, and if you weren't here, just, uh, just to catch you up, we talked about the idea that evangelism isn't about converting people primarily. When you think about evangelism in the church, a lot of times the goal or the primary focus is conversion and people, you know, repenting or coming to faith in Jesus. And while that's, of course, important, we think, uh, I don't think it's the main thing. And when it becomes the main thing, we lose a lot of the essence of what I think evangelism really is. Uh, it's not relegated to one style of, of one style. Uh, maybe you have in your mind a particular version of evangelism. Maybe it's Billy Graham, or maybe it's uh, you know the guy with the bullhorn on the street corner, or sort of co confrontational evangelism. And of course, we want to say that it's not relegated to one particular style. And certainly, it's not about winning souls. We want to make a very clear distinction between um, what we're after is is a theology of evangelism that takes into account what I think is a biblical understanding of the person and of creation and of what Jesus has done on the cross and all of that. And so if evangelism is just about winning souls and, and, and saving souls, then we miss a massive part of what I think evangelism is about. So today what I want to do, if last week was deconstruction, we want to begin reconstructing some thoughts this, this week about and particularly, I want to frame it this way, what is a theology of evangelism? Or what, is, what does evangelism have to do with, um, not what does it have to do with, how can we think about evangelism from a theological perspective? So that's what I want to do. David, can you bring me down just a hair? I'm going to probably get going here, and then it's going to get a little louder. And I feel like some people right over here are kind of going like this. Um, so let me start by this. Last week I told a story about a, um, a, a situation, uh, an experience I had when I was in ninth grade. I went to Chicago, and this particular experience really shaped my understanding of evangelism, uh, I think in a, in a bit of a negative way. Um, I remember a ton about that week. Lots of things happened, including this was the week that, that I personally decided, like, this is it. I want to uh, surrender my life to Jesus and follow Jesus and be about what Jesus is about. Um, and so that was a huge week for me. But I remember one particular speaker and ironically enough, I was at a wedding last night. I performed a wedding, and I was at the reception, and I was sitting at a table, and this couple sits, sits down, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're Micah, blah, blah, blah. I knew some people from Trout Lake, which is a camp that I spoke at. And they're like, oh, yeah, we were at Trout when you spoke. And the kid, the, the, the kid he's like 20-something, um, he says, do you remember that thing that you did on Moses, you know, with the, the speech impediment and Moses? And I'm like, yeah, man, that was, yeah, I didn't at all remember anything that he was talking about. But this guy remembered. He was like, oh, that was, I remember that like it was yesterday. And I thought to myself, what are the odds, you know, that you would remember one particular speaker? And I thought, well, they're pretty good. Because I remember one particular speaker named Mark Gold when I was in Chicago. 
And of all the sermons and teachings that I've ever heard in church, this is one that I can literally remember like it was yesterday. And I remember Mark talked about this story in, um, in the Gospels where Jesus tells Peter they're having a debate about taxes. And Jesus tells Peter to go to the lake and to throw a line in the lake and he'll catch a fish. And in the fish's mouth will be this coin, this four drachma coin. Uh, and, and the tax was two. And so Jesus says, then take the fish, take the coin out of his mouth and give it to the, the people collecting the taxes. One for you, one for me. And the theme of the week, and the, you know, Mark's challenge that day was uh, boldly go. That was the whole, the whole week was about boldly go. Would you go more boldly if you knew that this was, the Jesus, this was the God that was behind evangelism? And the challenge was to get personally involved with evangelism. Like me personally saying, yes, I want to do this, or yes, I want to be a part of this. And would you go more boldly if you knew that, that this was the God that you represented, that this was the same God who knows that there's a fish in the sea that Peter will catch and then you can give it. So that was his challenge. Now, all hermeneutics aside, we won't get into the details of that particular story or interpretation, but the challenge was, it was about me. It was about me personally taking a step and saying, I want to do this, or I want to be more involved in this, or I want to so on and so forth. And the ball was in my court. Uh, I was the one responding to evangelism and evangelizing. This morning, we want to tackle this question of what does evangelism look like from a theological perspective? And I want to challenge this idea. I want to challenge this idea of the ball being in your court and evangelism being about you. Because I think when we see it that way, we miss out on an absolutely critical, foundational piece to this whole, this whole deal. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 10, and I want to read from uh, a couple of different places um, between Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 13, and I'm just going to read some snippets of the story. And if you don't know the story of Acts, this is the story of the church. It's um, post-resurrection. Jesus has come up out of the grave, and the Holy Spirit has now been given to the church to do the work of uh, the, the church in the world. And so in this particular piece in chapter 10, Peter, is, uh, he goes to this Roman centurion's house named Cornelius, and he has a dream, and Cornelius has a dream, and all kinds of craziness is going on. And uh, pick it up in verse 37. Again, I'm just going to read a few snippets to sort of um, set this up. So in verse 37, he says this, You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Skip down to verse 44. He says this, While Peter was still speaking... These words came, or uh, he was still speaking these words. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even to the Gentiles. Then verse 47, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. Let's skip down in verse uh, chapter 11. Verse 11 says this, right then, three men who had been sent from to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. Skip down to verse 15. He says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came, came on them, and as, they had, uh, as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now skip over to chapter 13. Um, Peter basically tells all of his friends, here's what happened at Cornelius's, and then the, the, the story kind of changes to Barnabas and Saul. Verse 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to, the, to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And then skip down to verse 9. It says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, Then he says something a bit striking. You're a child of the devil, but that's not my point that I want to make here. Um, if we're going to talk about evangelism, and if we're going to unpack it from a theological perspective, I want to start by, I want to begin by saying, and again, I'm challenging this story that I started with, where the challenge was up to me. It was, do you want to get involved, and, and how do you want to respond, and so on and so forth. If you look at the story of Acts, and if Acts is nothing, or if it's anything, it's at least evangelism in its like first go. Uh, this is the newly um, constituted people of God. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. Uh, he says, wait here for, for what's going to come, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in, in chapter 2, and then all of a sudden, the, the message of Jesus and the, the new idea of the people of God being Jesus-centric, which is a terribly, highly technological, theological term, Jesus-centric, um, is now going out into the world. If it's anything, it's about this new movement of God in the world. And I want to start by saying this. Evangelism's main character, evangelism's main character, in the story of evangelism, the main character is the Spirit of God. If you notice in those verses that I read, I picked a number of them, and you could pick different sections of Acts and go through it. In fact, it might be an interesting study to just go through the book of Acts and, and note all of the places that the Spirit is mentioned. Because here's the thing. Evangelism, at its core has to do with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the main character in the story. And I would say evangelism is first and foremost a pneumatological work, not anthropological. So you could say it this way. Evangelism is a work of the Spirit first, and then, if it is at all, it's a work of humans. It's, it's a work that involves humans. So you could say evangelism is a partnership between the Spirit of God at work in the world and humanity that is invited into this thing. But it's always driven by, it's always led by, it's always guided by. The force behind it is the Spirit of God at work in the world. And if we don't understand this, we run the risk of missing what's really going on when we're talking about evangelism. And I think we run the risk of moving into places and spaces and taking responsibility for things that we were never intended to take responsibility for. You know, I told this story last week about this, this staff member who said, oh, did you seal the deal? You know, talking about youth ministry and, and retreats and all this whole deal. And it always rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, seal the deal? Gosh, I just, I don't like that. Because when we talk like that and when we understand evangelism like that, we move into a place where now something is, we're responsible for something in this whole context and, and conversation about evangelism. And I don't think that's the case. Certainly not on the, the results of or, or what happens as a result of evangelism. When we're talking about it theologically, we have to start here and say that evangelism always starts with the spirit at work in the world. And if we miss that, we take on things that were never meant to be ours to take on. Now, this is a really, really subtle shift. And, it, and, and it's pretty nuanced. And you could say, well, okay, fine. Yeah, so what? Big deal. I, I want to say this is, this, is, this is paramount because how we view this and how we see this, the perspective that we view this through or from makes all the difference in the world. How many of you have seen the movie Notting Hill before? Any, any uh, 
Okay, most of the ladies, any fellas seeing the movie Notting Hill in, in the room? I can't see you, but I'm sure there are some raising your hands. Okay, thank you, Tony. I appreciate that. One, if Notting Hill's a great movie, Hugh Grant, uh, you know, lovely English accent, all the girls, all the girls think that's cute. And, and I think Julia Roberts is a dish. I do. I think she's great. I have a little, you know, celebrity crush on her. But um, there's this great scene from Notting Hill where um, Julia Roberts is this actress, and she's famous and this whole deal, and she meets this, you know, random person, uh, Hugh Grant's character in, in Notting Hill, this great little romantic comedy in, in London. And uh, she decides to spend the night, and that's not the great part, but we won't get into that. She decides to spend the night and, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, they wake up in the morning, and... Um, somehow there's a tip given to all the reporters that Julia Roberts' character, Anna Scott, is at this house at the Blue Door in Notting Hill. So all these reporters come around and, um, you know, someone, there's a knock on the door and Hugh Grant opens the door and it's just like, snap, 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 and all these photos and photographers and he kind of like shuts the door and he's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And, um, and then Anna Scott, Julia Roberts' character, is like, oh, what's going on? And he says, I would not do that if I were you. And she opens the door, and there she is, standing in his shirt. And all the car- you know, pictures are snapping, and it's just this, like, kind of moment. And, and so the, the, the scene ensues, and, and basically it gets to the end, and, and Hugh Grant says, listen, hey, can we just get a little perspective here? Like, this is, this is one day, this is one instant, and, and today's news is tomorrow's trash. And she says, listen. Our perspective is different because anytime anyone ever looks up a story about Anna Scott, these pictures will be there, and I will forever regret this day and this moment. So our perspective is a little bit different, right? He's this random guy who owns a bookshop in Notting Hill, and she's a actress, a, a movie, uh, a Hollywood superstar, and so she says our perspective is different. How? Same historical event, same thing that happened, right? viewed from two different perspectives with completely different implications. So the point I'm trying to make here is that when we, depending on the perspective that we view something through, it actually helps shape and influence the, whatever we will take from it or the truth that we will reduce from it. And so as we talk about evangelism, this is a subtle, very nuanced shift, but I want to say that it's absolutely critical that we understand that the main character in evangelism is always the Spirit of God at work in the world. When we don't, we're set up for, for a, a ride that we shouldn't be taking. Turn to Acts chapter 8. If evangelism, if the, if the Spirit of God is the main character in evangelism, I want to say, uh, I'm going to read this, this story. This is a beautiful story from Acts chapter 8. It's about Philip and an Ethiopian guy who happens to be a eunuch, which is always interesting to explain to kids. And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. So again, the spirit is at work here, telling Philip, do this, do this, do that. Then Philip runs up to the chariot, and he hears the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asks, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And then Philip asked the Or the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? 
And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him about the good news of Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And so he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. If the main character in evangelism is the Spirit of God, I would say that evangelism is fundamentally the Spirit of God making known what happened in Jesus. It's, it's the Spirit of God making known the reality of resurrection and the work of Jesus on the cross. Have you ever had a situation in life where um, you come upon something or you, uh, you, you come into a situation and you see something that you didn't see before? Uh, maybe, you know, this happens sometimes because we're not paying attention or we just missed something or we didn't have the eyes to see it before. But then in a moment, it comes into focus in a way that it hadn't before. I can think of one instance particularly uh, where this happened to me. I had come home from work and, you know, pulled up in the driveway, got out of the car, closed the door. Everything was totally normal as, as per every other day. And I opened the kitchen door and my oldest daughter, Hadley, is standing in the kitchen and she's doing something. And I'm, I open the door and I step up into our massive mudroom, which is two by two. And I look there and there is Hadley. And she looks at me and in an instant, I think to myself, you've changed. Parents, have you ever had a moment like this where you look at your kids and it's like, I have been with you the whole time. And for whatever reason, in this moment, I know something has changed. It's your face. It's the way, you know, your face has grown or your smile has changed or your eyes or something about you has changed. And I've been here all along, but I didn't see it. And all of a sudden, in a moment, you notice it. Or, or have you ever read a passage of scripture where you've, you've heard this story like a hundred times and then you read it one time and all of a sudden, like a ton of bricks, it's just opened up in a way that it's never been before. And you're like, how did I not see this before? I think this happens for a couple of reasons. One, I would say you're not the same person that you were the first time you read it or the first time you saw it. But secondly, I would say this is the spirit of God at work in the world illuminating truth, showing us new things. This is what the Spirit does. If we think about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each have different parts that they play, and while they're one, they have very different voices and vocations and roles. And I would argue that the Spirit of God, if it does anything, it does the work of illumination. And so as we talk about evangelism, I would say that fundamentally the work of evangelism begins with the Spirit of God, and it's about the Spirit of God revealing, illuminating, showing the work of Jesus in the world. So if we're framing evangelism theologically, it's the Spirit of God is the main character, and what the Spirit is up to is unveiling, illuminating the work of Jesus in the world. Now let's shift gears a little bit and make it a little bit more practical, bring it into our neck of the woods, so to speak. Do you guys, who's that guy on, on the morning show? Here's what's happening in your neck of the woods. What's Al Roker, is that his name? Sorry, I had to get that. Uh, so here's what's happening in our neck of the woods, right? If, if evangelism is the Spirit of God, if the main character is the Spirit, and what the Spirit is up to is the work of illumination, showing the work of Jesus in the world, then evangelism has to be rooted, if we're going to understand it theologically, it has to be rooted in ecclesiology, in the work of the church or the role of the church. Turn back to Acts chapter 1. Verse 8 says this. 
It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this is the beginning of the church. This is this new movement of God. And what happens is the Spirit says, you're going to be the witnesses, the apostles, the, these people who are the new followers of Jesus. You will be our, my witness in all of the world, in Judea, Samaria, and all the rest of the world. You are going to be the witness. So the role of the church is connected to the Spirit of God doing evangelism, calling people to what Jesus has done in the world. And the vehicle, the, vo- the, the, the means by which this happens in the world is the church. Turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to the right a little bit. We actually started with this passage a couple weeks ago, but it says this. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, starting in verse 18, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Here's where I wanted to um, maybe move us this morning. I think we can understand all of this in our heads. Like, theologically, okay, I get those concepts. It's the Spirit of God doing something, and what the Spirit of God is doing is making known the work of Jesus, and then this invitation goes out to the church to to respond to what the Spirit is up to in the world. Okay, I get all of that theologically. I I get it cognitively. But I want to ask you, I grew up pretty conservative. I grew up in a church that didn't talk a lot about the Spirit of God. I grew up in a church that... Like, the only time the Spirit was talked about was um, when we were talking about our friends who went to the, the AG church or the Pentecostal church down the road, right? It's like this sort of stepchild of the Trinity, <laughs> you know, that nobody ever talks about. Like, we love the Father, we love Jesus, but the Spirit, yeah, you know, it's, it's a little crazy, <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, you know, um, people speaking in tongues and getting healed and, you know, like being told what to do. But I mean, that's kind of a little hokey, don't you think? Really, though. And I want to challenge us as a community to wrestle with this this morning. I remember I was in Kosovo. I led a trip to, uh, of about 30 high school students to Kosovo. And, And during this week, we did this work project where we laid like I think we counted 25,000 bricks or something like that in 110 degrees, and it's super humid. So we did this massive work. We laid this huge like patio gathering area for this Kosovar high school. And uh, at the end of the week, they did this huge ceremony, and they're super big about this kind of thing in, in other countries, I guess, you know, honoring people, thanking them for the work that they've done. It's really important to them. And uh, so they gather us around, like the mayor of the city comes, and all these important politicians and the principals there, and they have like a ribbon and like this, you know, little tiny scissors. You know, you'd think, you know, in America, we'd get this massive scissors and be like, wow! You know, they just, just the scissors, just utilitarian scissors. And they gather us all around, and the mayor of the, the, mayor of the city, is, he, he stands up to speak, and he says, you have come from America. 
where you are blessed. And you, out of the goodness of your hearts, have blessed us. Thank you. And I'm sitting there thinking, interesting, right? Like Genesis 12, I'm a pastor, right? I'm thinking, this sounds a lot like Abraham. You'll be blessed to be a blessing. That the, the, the role of the people of God in the world is to bring blessing, to bring the favor of God, to bring the announcement of good news that God has come back. And here it's being maybe a little bit mis, misinterpreted, but there's, there's certainly this piece of he assumes that America is blessed and that, that somehow, wherever you come from, America, that there's just money everywhere and everybody's got enough. And, and out of that blessing, you have come and you've been an ambassador on behalf of America and you've given that away to us as Kosovars. And it was like, oh, this is what it means to be an ambassador of something. Like, I go there and I represent something to someone. You know, maybe a misconceived perception of America. Fine, that's okay. But I represent something to this guy. We, as a, as a community, as a youth group, we represent something to these people. And in that moment, it was translated and understood and said back. And I read a passage like this in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, Listen, God has done something through Jesus. He is about the work of reconciling the world to himself, about taking everything back in Christ. That's what God is up to. That's what happens at the cross. That's what happens at the resurrection. And now you, church, this is what you've been given this is your role. This is the vocation of the church in the world, to be an ambassador, to be a people that represent what has happened on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus to the world. And it only happens through the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God that had the power to resurrect Jesus from the dead. The same Spirit of God that that turns everything upside down, now lives in you and empowers you to do what you've been called to do as the church. So friends, I want to end and I want to challenge us to think about this. Theologically, if we're going to talk about evangelism, and I, and I said last week, we have to do this. This is, this is vital work for us to do. Evangelism is a it's a dirty word in our culture because it's been done so poorly so many times. And so many people have been beat up by and been badgered and fill in the blank. So this is important work for us to do, but I want to challenge us to, to ask, I want to ask two questions as we close. The first is this. How much is the work of the Spirit recognized in your daily life? If you follow Jesus, if you've said yes and, and call yourself a Christian and that's something that you've made a priority in your life, how much on a daily basis, just be honest, 
on a daily basis, how much is the work of the Spirit recognized in your life? So Jesus said this vexing thing often. He said, he who has ears to hear and eyes to see, let him hear and let him see. Maybe you could translate my question to say, do you have eyes to see the Spirit at work in your life? And this is something that I think we learn. This is something that we cultivate. This is a posture that we live from. It's not something, it's not a formula. It's not something I'm going to give to you and you're going to leave today and be like, oh, hey, guess what? I got the new spirit lenses today at church. Now I can see. But how much do you, do I? And as I've worked on this this week and, and thought about this, I've been challenged because quite honestly, because of my background, because of my tradition, because of my tribe, it's not much. This is, this is something that I don't think about as much as I think I should. And the second question is, how am I aware and open to the Spirit's work in the world in and through my life? Am I even open to that? Do I even say, God, I'm open to that? Are you willing to say, God, these are some crazy stories. And it appears that it's the Spirit at work in people's life. I'm open to that, if you would have it for me. Are we even open to it? Are we willing to say, God, here I am. Holy Spirit, here I am. Use me. I'm going to ask Ben and the band to come, and they're going to um, lead us in a song that, that I think kind of further walks us down this road of, are we open, are we awake to what God is up to in the world through the Spirit. And uh, when they're done, I'm just going to come and, and close with a, a little challenge, uh, and we'll sing um, a chorus together. So as they lead, I would encourage you to listen and think about uh, what's being said and some of the things that we've talked about. Um, are we open to seeing what God's up to in the world through the Spirit? Do we have eyes to see that? And you know, honestly, do we have the guts we have the courage to step out in faith and say, okay, uh, I don't know how all this works, but if you want to use me to do s- something, I'm open to that. I don't want to manufacture anything. I don't want to manipulate anybody's emotions, but um, I do also believe that expect God to do things that he wants to do things and so I have been anticipating this week um, and I hope that that God is acting and working and so if that's the case I just want to invite you into that um, to really pay attention to that Um, if you need to close your eyes and just kind of be alone um, do that but I want to I want to give you a chance to respond And uh, I want to walk a very fine line between what I think are two pitfalls, one being um, bad theology about the Spirit of God and how that all works, and on the other side, kind of emotionalism and uh, manipulation. But I think if, if it's true that the Spirit of God is the main character in evangelism and the Spirit's at work revealing who Jesus is in the world, And then there's this thing called the church that is invited into whatever God is doing. And I think it's safe to say that God wants to use you and me 
empower us by the Spirit of God to participate in telling the story of Jesus in the world. And things happen. People change. People's lives are changed. People see the world differently because of Jesus. And that's what we're a community. That's as a community, that's what we want. That's what we want to be about. And so maybe just in the quietness of the next few moments, I want to invite you um, to respond. And uh, I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I'm not going to ask you to uh, to do anything or stand or make a spectacle of yourself because I think this is something that's that's highly personal. I mean, it's communal in the sense that we're a community and we're a church, but this is something that I think we need to wrestle with on it as people, as individuals. And it's that question of, are you open? Are you even, are you willing to be used by God to tell the story of Jesus in the world? Whatever that looks like in your context. And we're going to un- unpack this a little more next week about practically, what does this mean for us? But I want to just pose the question of, are you open? Are you willing to be used by God in miraculous ways to speak words of hope and of healing and of restoration and of life to people who may not know? And again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, frame this in guilt. If you don't do it, who will? That's not what this is about. Because that's just bad theology. And it's really mean. But I want you to, to wrestle this week. Am I willing to say, to open my hands and say, God, use me. Empower me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Guide me. Direct me. Speak to me. Nudge me. Prompt me. Help me learn how to hear and see you. Because that's what faith is about. That's what being, I think that's what being a follower of Jesus is about, is learning to hear the voice of God, learning to hear the Spirit at work in the world, and then having the courage to step out. And I'm trying to practice this myself. I was at Amore a couple weeks ago, and I just had this sense, this nudge. Julia. She's a barista up there. And I just had this sense, this nudge, invite her to awaken. And I'm like, oh, gosh, really? Awkward, my palms are sweating. And I just went for it. And I just said, you know, will we ever see you at awaken? We'd love to see you. And she's like, probably not. I just, I sense like, okay, God, I, 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 I'm trying to hear you. And I sensed you say, invite her to church. And that's my role. That's our role. That's your role. You're, it's not about, is, is Julia going to come to awaken or is she going to, that's not what it's about. It's about hearing the spirit of God and having the courage to step out. And so this morning, as we close I would just invite you, if you're at a place where you're willing to do that, whatever it means for you, if it's holding your hands open and just praying, God, I receive the Holy Spirit to empower me to do the work of the church. Uh, if it's just in your own, if it's 
finding a place, whatever it looks like for you. Can I challenge you, if you're willing, to ask that question and to invite God to do that? And then buckle up.